Did you ever think you'd hear the Christmas story through a Zoom call? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> so, good morning. And, uh, leading up to Christmas this year, we're in a series called Missing Christmas. And we're taking a look at people throughout the Christmas narratives who almost missed Christmas or maybe completely missed out on Christmas, the very first Christmas. And most of the time when we think of the Christmas story in relation to the Bible, we think about Mary, Joseph, the baby, of course, uh, shepherds, wise men, Herod. Uh, and most of us, like, let's go into a movie world real fast. So most of us have seen movies that have come out with sequels, right? We have, like, Par Pirates of the Caribbean, Home Alone. I told someone this week that there's actually a Home Alone 4, and they were shocked by that. Do not waste your time watching that, by the way. It's awful. So most of the time, most series don't make it multiple sequels, and people love them, right? But I've always been a fan of prequels. I love movie prequels because I'm that annoying movie watcher that wants to know the backstory of how they all got there in the beginning anyway. And in the Gospel of Luke, we get a chance, we get a glance at a prequel to Christmas, the story leading up to the story. Now, most of you probably don't know this. I'm gonna drop some news for you. I was a theater minor in college, yep. I know, shocking. Middle Tennessee State University, class of 2008. I'm here in Iowa now on this big stage and I have made it, my friends. Yes. But while I was in all my theater classes, killing it, I learned a few terms and will share those with you today. Most of them you're already gonna know, right? So in a story or in a play of any type, you have main characters. And in our Christmas story, the main characters are gonna be Mary and Joseph and, and the baby, right? And then you have the supporting cast. And in the Christmas story, that's gonna be the shepherds and the wise men and King Herod. They're people, they're, they matter because they help the story keep going, right? And most of the time they're causing problems or they're helping the main character solve problems, whatever it might be. And then there's extras, right? And one time I got to play an extra in a movie that never made it anywhere past the DVD that they sent me to say thanks for being an extra. But it's a lot of fun to be an extra because you really just sit around and you eat snacks until they tell you to go wherever they want to film you. And so the extras are important because they make it look like it's real life, right? So you can't have a school if there's only seven people in it. They gotta have people changing classes, all that kind of stuff. So there's extras. When we read in the gospel story, the Christmas narrative, there are crowds of people that come around from time to time. And then there's a role that's a step above an extra, and it's called a bit part. And a bit part is a character that has five lines or less, but they get to speak because extras don't get to speak. And so a bit part is a character that's essential because they might need someone to like hand someone a note or make a proclamation about something. And today we're going to look at the prequel of a person who played a bit part in the prequel to the Christmas story. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Luke chapter one. Kids, you might need to help your parents find this. So go ahead and help them find Luke. It's in the New Testament. And we're gonna look, uh, Luke chapter one, if I haven't said that already. We're gonna look at the story of Zechariah. 
Zechariah. He played a bit part in this prequel, and I want to check out this story today with you. So Luke chapter 1 is where we are starting. I got to turn there myself. There we go. We're going to look at verses 5 through 25, and it's a big, big text. So instead of reading the entire thing, I'm just going to break it down with you real fast. So Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I've got an overview here on the screen with you. Zechariah is a priest, and his wife's name is Elizabeth. God sees them both as righteous people, the text says, and they do not have any children of their own because they are very old. That's what the text says. And then in verses 8 through 10, it tells us that Zechariah is an active priest and he is chosen to do a week's worth of service at the temple. And that is a very detailed, oriented task that has prescriptions of exactly what you have to do in order. And it's a holy task done alone in the sanctuary in the presence of God. And in Luke 11 through 17, or 1, 11 through 17, while in the sanctuary, an angel appears and stands beside the altar while Zechariah is in there fulfilling his duty. And he is scared. He is trembling. He is full of fear. The text says he is shaken and filled with fear. And the angel tells Zechariah that his prayer has been heard and that he and his wife will have a son. And they are to name him John. And the angel goes on to tell Zechariah who John will be and what he will do. Now I want to pick up and read together with you in verse 18 is where we're going to start. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. When he walks out of the sanctuary, he literally can't speak. And the crowds are gathered around him, and they're gesturing to him. They realize he can't speak, and they just assume, they figure it out. They say, he must have seen a vision from the Lord while he was in there. And the text tells us that uh, Zechariah goes home after his week of service is done. And soon afterwards, Elizabeth is pregnant. And upon discovering this news in verse 25, it says that Elizabeth proclaims how kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. And immediately after this, the text jumps to Mary, who is also visited by the angel Gabriel, and told that she will bear a son named Jesus, and who will take away the sins of the people. Mary also asks, how can this be? But she is not stricken mute. She gets an explanation to her wondering, which is interesting. I have always wondered why the two different responses to Zechariah and to Mary, they both questioned what was happening and what they had just been told. So why did Zechariah get stricken mute and Mary got an answer? It's interesting. I wonder, is it because Zechariah was a priest and he was close to God, and he ministered for the Lord. So was there an expectation that, hey, you should have believed the word of God as soon as it came to you? Mary's just an average teenage girl. She's never encountered the Lord before. 
Zechariah's pretty old. Mary's pretty young. Maybe there's a life experience thing going on there. I don't know. But either way, Gabriel alerts Mary that her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant, and Mary rushes down to stay with her until the time when Elizabeth is set to deliver. Now let's hop back into the story at this point. Join me in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. And they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? they exclaimed. There is no one in all of your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. And he motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills, and everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. The Bible says that then Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to praise God, worship him, and then he prophesies. And when he prophesies, he first prophesies about Jesus, who is yet to be born, who will be his son's cousin. And then a few verses later, he prophesies about his own son. About Jesus, he says, God has sent us a mighty Savior. Now we will be saved from our enemies, and he has been merciful to our ancestors. He remembers the covenant he made with Abraham. Then he prophesies about John, his son, and he proclaims that John will prepare the way for the Lord and will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. What an incredible prequel! Why should we care about a person with a bit part in the overall Christmas story? Is there anything we can learn from Zechariah? Even with the smallest of narratives, there is always a reason that it's been included in our scripture. I've noted three things I think we can learn from Zechariah's story with regards to missing Christmas. And as I share, I want you to take a personal inventory of where you might be with relation to this in your life, and in your relationship with God. The first thing I think we can learn, we can take note of, is Zechariah's position. If you remember way at the beginning, we noted that Zechariah was a priest. The scripture tells us that he was from the order of Abijah, and actually that Elizabeth was from a priestly line of Aaron as well. You got two priest lines coming in one family. Priests were a special group of people in the Israelite culture, to some degree they were born into it. They didn't really have a choice of servitude, but it was a high calling. And it would take their lifetime to learn and perform their duties as required. The text tells us that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. He saw them as righteous, always careful to obey God's commandments. And back then, they had a lot more than just the Ten Commandments they had to follow. But because of what the text tells us, we can assume that Zechariah was a godly man and husband. 
Perhaps most of this was a product of his training as a priest. Either way, we see a man who positioned himself to be near to God, to recognize God's messenger when it appeared to him. He trembled in his presence, and he knew enough to know it was holy ground and that he didn't belong on holy ground. Do you long to have an intimate relationship with Christ? That will never happen if you're never putting yourself in a position to hear from him. Before COVID, life was nuts, right? It was frenzied and hurried and rushed. We ran ourselves ragged, never slowing down, never taking a break, never stopping, never reflecting, never quiet, never still. Quarantine happened for a little over a month, and so many of us marveled at what life felt like when we didn't have to go anywhere without all the busyness. And now, life seems to be just as busy as it was before COVID, except it has an extra layer of digital stress. And having to hold schedules so loosely and always be ready to pivot everywhere we go. And it's a new kind of exhausting, isn't it? If you want to hear from God, if you want to not miss Christmas this year, you have to put yourself in a position to hear from him and to be in his presence. The second thing we can learn from Zechariah is his posture. Zechariah's posture. Zechariah is an interesting man. He is considered righteous by God. He was trained and an active priest. He would have known all about when to stand, when to kneel, when to bow, when to close his eyes, when to fold his hands, when to lay prostrate on the ground. Physically, he had posturing down, I think. However, we see in verse 18, we see an internal posture of doubt and disbelief. Gabriel tells Zechariah exactly what's going to happen, and rather than worshiping the very God he serves, Zechariah is filled with doubt. How can I be sure this will happen, he says. Now, God doesn't mind our questioning. I think he's a big, big God, and he can handle our honest questions. However, Zechariah wasn't asking this question in wonder. He was asking for assurance. The very wording of Zechariah's questions show his doubt. How can I be sure, he's saying to God? What he means by that is, hey, God, I've been praying this for years. I've been asking you for this son, a child, for years, decades now, and you've never answered. And this is a prayer of mine that has gone unfulfilled, and now you want to tell me it's going to happen? Well, I'm going to look a fool if I believe you and I'm wrong. So tell me, God, I need to make sure before I tell anybody what you've told me. I don't believe you because you've been silent for decades to me. I want assurance. Give me proof. For all of his righteousness, Zechariah doubted. Gabriel calls him out. Zechariah truly didn't believe it was going to happen, and he tried to force God into giving proof ahead of time. 
as if Gabriel showing up and verbally telling him wasn't enough. But let's don't be so quick to judge Zechariah, because I think most of us have been right here before, in this same posture. I have. This year in particular has been ridiculous. It's been hard in so many ways. It's lasted exponentially longer than any of us thought it would. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's probably going to follow us into 2021. It's been easy to have a posture of doubt towards God this year. Am I right? I've had it far too often in just the past few months. My posture has been one of reminding God how tired I am, telling him that this ministry thing is hard, and I don't like it being this hard. Bargaining with him to keep me and my family and my loved ones safe, demanding proof that I'll be okay if he does, if I do what he's asked me to do. Have you been there? What is your posture before God today? Is it one of Zechariah? How will I know? Or is it one of Elizabeth who says, the Lord is so kind because he's heard me? The last thing I think we can take away today from Zechariah's story is Zechariah's proclamation. His proclamation. In the end, after a little over nine months of silence, can you imagine that, by the way? Maybe some of the women in the room were like, I would have loved nine months of silence while I was pregnant. It would have been great. I don't know. Can you imagine that? Nine months of not being able to speak. Sidebar, when I was 16 years old, I had reconstructive jaw surgery, and they wired my jaw shut for six weeks, and I couldn't talk for six weeks. It just about killed me. not being able to talk. It was terrible. And that was only for six weeks. And I think about, like, if anybody in this room has been through that, you've, like, walked in Zechariah's sandals, you know? Like, you know. But he had it for nine months. That's insane. Not being able to talk. And then they ask Elizabeth, like, what's the child's name going to be? And she says, it's going to be John. And they say, what? There's no one in your family named John. Everyone knows you name your firstborn son after the dad. It's supposed to be Zechariah, Elizabeth. So they go to Zechariah, who can't talk. So we don't even know how does Elizabeth know his name was supposed to be John. He never got to tell her that we know of. Maybe God told her. Maybe he wrote it in a letter or something. I don't know. But they go to, to Zechariah and they say, what's his name? And he writes it out. He said, no, it's John. And it's in that very moment that now he is released. And the moment he is released from being mute, he doesn't say anything but praise you, Lord, for what you have done. After nine months of silence, the first thing out of his mouth is worship. What can we learn from this? Friends, after a year like we've had, it's easy to get stuck in the burdens, to become mute in the face of all the challenges we have faced and will continue to face. Taking one hit after another, we posture ourselves in survival mode. Maybe we're not mad, but we're not filled with joy. 
Maybe we're not complaining, but we're not worshiping either. Above the surface, we look calm, and underneath, our feet are just churning, keeping us afloat. Can we learn from Zechariah today? Perhaps if we change our position and our posture, it will help us proclaim and worship the God who loved us so much that he gave us Christmas. Christ arrived. Do you want to miss out on that this year? I don't. It's nowhere near too late to change these things and make sure that you don't miss Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for your word that gives us not just the main characters, but the bit parts too. The bit parts that we can learn from, the people that we get to see and know their stories and change our position and our posture. Lord, we worship you. We proclaim who you are. We love you, Lord. Thank you for giving us Christmas. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us your son who has changed everything. Help us, Lord, to worship you. Help us to examine our position and our posture. And let us proclaim every day who you are, what you've done, and how we can respond. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.